Good morning. Welcome to the Brooklyn All Nations Church, right? Praise God. That is a taste of heaven. Absolutely. Well, as Paul said, this is a very special Sabbath for us, isn't it? It's a time of the year where many Christians look at it as an Easter Sunday, and this is a time of year where Jewish people look at it as the Passover. And it was this time of year, just about 2,000 years ago, that Jesus became our Passover lamb and died for the sins of the world. And that's what brings us to this special Sabbath today when we have communion. Um, in the message today, I just want to tie uh, uh, some concepts together. I want us to talk a little bit about the original Passover and what that demonstrated, which was to free us from the bondage of sin. This is why Jesus dies. And the passage that we just heard read was about how a person in Israel could not take the Passover unless they had been circumcised. In fact, if a person wanted to join the Israelites, he had to be circumcised before he could ever take the Passover. And, a, and that is a covenant. It's an agreement. I want us to kind of tie those thoughts together. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for the everlasting covenant of how you gave us your Son to deliver us from the bondage of sin, much like the Hebrews were in bondage to Egyptian slavery. And we know that as we take a part of these emblems today, these emblems represent our freedom, our freedom from bondage to a to represent also our continuation of freedom from the bondage of sin. So help us, Father, in our study of your word today to embrace that freedom for now and forever. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want us to begin by looking at this statement. You're going to see two different words here. One's revival, one's reformation. And in this statement, it's going to say these are two different things, but every, each one of these is necessary. We have to be revived, and we have to be reformed. Not just one of the two, both of these need to be our experience. A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of who? And we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit towards the end of this sermon. Under the ministration of the Holy Spirit, we can experience revival and what? Reformation. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from spiritual death. Reformation signifies a reorganization, a change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the Spirit. Revival and Reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work, they must blend. In other words, we must continue to be revived how often? Actually, every day we are refreshed by the Holy Spirit to be revived spiritually for every day so that we can continue the process of what? The reformation of our lives, where God changes us, gets us to think different and feel different and see people different, right? 
Because we, when we become a Christian, we're not just like Jesus when we start, but every day we experience this reform. And so every day we need the revival of the Spirit so that we can continue the reformation of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And that's going to prepare us for the judgment. And we're going to see that here in a second. So, a revival, a resurrection from spiritual death. When we're born, are we born spiritually alive or spiritually dead? We are born spiritually dead. We're born with a fallen nature. And if we're not revived, we're going to die in our sins. So we have to be revived to be born again. Born of the Spirit. But we also need to be, once we're born again and now have a spiritual mind, to understand spiritual things, God's going to reform our thinking. He's going to re-educate us to see people and treat people differently. And these two things have to work together how often? Every day through the rest, the rest of our lives. Right. And this is what 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? A new creature living a new life. Not, not an improvement of the old, but a new one. A new life. Old things are passed away. But if you get rid of all the old, you've got to replace it with something new. Right? You can't just live in a vacuum. And behold, all things become new. So, two solutions to two problems. The two solutions, revival and reformation. The two problems, I'm born with a fallen nature, and because I've sinned, I fall into the condemnation of sin. And I'm a slave to sin. I'm in bondage. And... I've sinned in my life. I've got a lot of wrong ideas, a lot of wrong feelings, a lot of wrong everything in my life, and I need to be reformed. That life's got to, I can get a new life. Two problems, two solutions. Revival, reformation. And we're going to see in revival, revival is the new birth experience. It's when we come to Christ, we receive a new heart. It's the new beginning. It's the work of a moment. It is deliverance from sin. It's deliverance from the bondage because now that I'm no longer under the dominion of sin, Christ has freed me. I'm no longer under that bondage, but now I've just been free, but now I still got to live, don't I? Not to go back to bondage, but to remain free in Christ as I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. And that's what the Passover represents. That's what we're doing today in this emblems. When you take this body, represented the body of Christ and his blood, you're thinking about, this is the reason I can be free. If Jesus doesn't die for me, I'm still what? I'm still in bondage. I have no way to free myself. The Hebrews couldn't free themselves from the Egyptian superpower. They They couldn't free themselves. God had to free them. In the same way, we can't free ourselves from sin. We have to be delivered. And it's that same Lord that delivers us who will guide us to reform us and prepare us for the promise, the promised land. Okay? But a reformation, once I've been reborn, I've got to continue to experience this changed life. It's a continuation, which is a work of a lifetime. And I just continue to grow in Christ. 
And this is how the Hebrews did it. Passover was the first feast day. It was the first religious service, main feast day. It was the first month of the religious year they experienced Passover. So you begin your spiritual experience by having a lamb. Someone's got to die for you. And that Passover that the Hebrews experienced, that first one, when they kept that Passover, they were free from Egyptian bondage. And when we accept Christ as our Passover lamb, we're free from the bondage to sin. But you see, the Hebrews... Once they left Egypt, they weren't ready to step right into the promised land. They had to walk through that wilderness. They had some lessons they had to learn before they got to the promised land. They didn't just come right out of Egypt into the promised land. God says, I have just freed you from bondage because you placed your faith in me. Continue to walk by faith in this wilderness, and I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you manna. I'm going to have water come out of rocks. Your shoes won't wear out. I'm going to protect you from the sun with a cloud. And at the night, there'll be fire. I'm going to go take care of you. You're my children. I just freed you. Because you've got to believe in me. Don't look at the giants. Don't worry about the enemies out there. Just believe in me. I'm going to lead you. And you do this by faith. Because he's the only one who can prepare you for the promised land. No man can prepare you for that. God can prepare you for that. But in the same way, we become Christians. We accept Jesus as our lamb. But it's only the beginning. And we walk through this wilderness of life. And there's many lessons we need to learn before we reach the heavenly Canaan. But you got his spirit in you. And through that same spirit that freed you from bondage is the same one that's going to teach you to live a new life. Okay, does that make sense? But all this is preparatory for the day of judgment. So the Hebrews, they first had Passover, they first had a lamb. They're now out of Egyptian bondage. But before they get to the promised land, they've got to have this daily service. The daily service of being taught and learning, and if they sin, they had an offering they'd bring to the sanctuary they just built, right? And they'd have this whole religious year to grow in Christ, to prepare them for the day of atonement. And isn't that what we're doing right now? We've come to Christ, we've been born again, and what are we preparing for? The day of judgment. Our names are going to come up here pretty soon. We don't know the day, but what should we be doing? We need to be growing. We need to be learning the lessons that God wants us to learn right now in this life. How to treat people, see people, get the message out, know the message, share the message, preparing us to live with him for eternity. We don't have any days to lose. So Egyptian bondage. We could begin Israel with Abraham, who has two sons. He has Ishmael and Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons. He has Esau and Jacob. Jacob is the one who's first called Israel, but then he has how many sons? He has 12 sons, and that nation becomes a nation of Israel. But they wind up in Egypt, and they become what? They become slaves in Egypt. 
And so the Lord was going to deliver them out of this Egyptian bondage in the same way he wants to deliver us from the bondage to sin. But what did these Hebrews need? I mean, some of these Hebrews were born in slavery and died in slavery. But here's this generation where God promised, I'm going to deliver you from Egyptian bondage. And what did they have to do? What was the only thing they could do? Is have faith, obey God. They weren't going to be free by developing an army. They couldn't be free by doing good works. They were all slaves. The only thing they could do is have faith in the lamb whose blood they put on the doorpost. And the destroying angel would go over their homes. And not one of the Hebrews, not one Hebrew died in all this. You realize that? Millions of them. And they're all free. Because of what? Because of the lamb. And that's what these emblems are that we're taking. We're only free because of Jesus. You can't free yourself. Jesus means everything to us. Notice this statement in Patriarchs and Prophets. The Passover was to be both commemorative and typical, not only pointing back to deliverance from Egypt, but forward to the greater deliverance when Christ was to accomplish in freeing his people from the bondage of... You see, that's being... And Egyptian bondage is like us being in a bondage of sin. Them being free is how we can be free. Isn't that right? And that's what Passover represents. That's what this communion represents, about how to be free in Christ. So, to be free, they couldn't use an army. They had to believe in that slain, uh, slain lamb. But, again, it was only God alone who could save them. Now, I want us to look at this, and we'll get back to this uh, Passover. They couldn't free themselves, but how are we free? True, we have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control. But when we desire to be set free from sin, and in our great need cry out for our power out of and above ourselves, the powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of of the Holy Spirit. And they obey the dictates of the will and fulfilling the will of God. Who led you to Jesus? The Holy Spirit did, didn't he? He wooed you to Jesus. To your need of a, of a lamb. Because you can't save yourself. You can't free yourself. And the Holy Spirit leads you to wind up accepting Jesus, to confess your sins. And once you did, you just got free from the bondage to sin. Is that the end of the work of the Holy Spirit? That's the beginning. But now we need to continue to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? Continue to be led by the Holy Spirit through the rest of our through the rest of our life. Learning whatever lessons he will be our teacher, right? Teaching us every day to how to put on Christ, right? We're going to get back to that. As the Hebrews walked out of the land of Egypt's Egyptian slavery, never to come into servitude to their taskmasters again. That's a very important statement. God didn't bring them out of Egypt just so they'd return back to Egypt, though there were many who wanted to, because they lost their faith in lost their faith in God. And when God delivers us from the bondage of sin, He doesn't want us to do what? He doesn't want us to go back to the bondage of sin. 
He wants us to experience freedom. You can be free. And it all begins with that revival of the Spirit. Right? To have that, to have Christ as your lamb. To know that His shed blood has freed you if you accept that. So we have that freedom, that from freedom from the bondage of sin. And notice here in this statement, this is how the Ten Commandments begin. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. But the, the preface of keeping the commandments is God says, I want you to remember something. Who freed you? Well, God did. Could you free yourself? No. And in a way, this is saying you can't keep the commandments by yourself either. But the only way to keep the commandments is you first got to be, you got to be free from bondage first. I will free you from the bondage of sin. Just give my sins, give your sins to me. I will free you from that bondage. But now I want you to keep my commandments because if you don't keep the commandments, what are you doing? You're going right back into bondage. Now this, when we start thinking about prophecy and we start thinking about a national Sunday law and things like that, it becomes more serious because ultimately a national Sunday law is putting people into what? It's putting people into bondage. People don't need to be in bondage. They need to be free. Freedom. Keeping the commandments is a freedom. It's what keeps us from going back into bondage. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we be free from going back to the old life, which was the transgression of that law. And here's the covenant. And this is really was kind of the idea of the sermon. When a stranger, somebody who wasn't a Hebrew, shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord. Let all his males be circumcised, and let him come near and keep it. He shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof of what? The Passover. But, what did circumcision represent? Huh? Okay. But it, a covenant is an agreement. Let's look at this next slide here. A covenant is an agreement. And let's just for an example say you're going to build a house. Do you have an agreement with the builder after he built the house? You have an agreement before he begins to construct the house. So, when we take this communion, Passover, you know what we're really doing? We're making a covenant with God. A covenant not to go back to slavery. A covenant that says... You have freed me, and I choose to remain free. Otherwise, in a way, we kind of take it unworthily, don't we? If we take the Lord's Supper, we just want to go back to Egypt. We just want to go back to bondage. It contradicts the whole purpose of the... And this is why God said to take the Passover, a person had to be circumcised first, because that's an agreement. Now, the agreement is not the building. It's just an agreement to build the building.
the everlasting covenants in Genesis 3.15, that I will put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman, the church. Here's God's covenant. God says, I am going to give you my son, who's been with me from eternity. There's nobody like my son. He's been with me. He, was, he wasn't born. He never had a beginning. He's always been with me. He's my only son like this, but you, I want you to be my sons and daughters. But he's, he's unique. And I'm going to give him to you. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I don't want to lose you. I want to enjoy you as my sons and daughters. And God says, I covenant to do that. And I covenant not only for him to die for you, but my son's going to what? He's going to rise again. And the same power that raised my son from the, from the grave is the same power that's going to empower you not to return to G- Egypt, not to return to bondage. And God says, I covenant to do that for you. I covenant to revive you and reform you, if you'll let me. And our response in the covenant is, we agree. We will take these emblems and we'll covenant and agree with you that there'll be no other name under heaven that I will seek for my salvation. I accept what you did in giving your son to pay for my sins. And I covenant that I'll allow through the work of the Holy Spirit for Jesus to live in me. That's the covenant. And that's how we don't take it unworthily, is when we simply agree to the terms before we take it. And that's how serious this communion is. This is not an exercise that we do four times a year. It's a way to reaffirm our covenant agreement with God and say, you know, in this quarter, I still choose to follow thee. No turning back. No turning back. Because you alone can save me. You alone can keep me. And there is no other. Is this true? And this is how important communion really is. Once delivered, no more Egypt. No more servitude of man. Which is exactly why you'll never keep the National Sunday Law. You're only going to serve God. That's why you were made. To serve God. And as we partake of these emblems, again, we are coveting that He will give us this new life and we're going to continue to walk in it and not walk back to the old. Now, I just want to finish up, as I said, I I talk about the Holy Spirit. When we first come to Christ in Acts 2.38, this is when we first receive the Holy Spirit. This is when we are revived. The process begins. Notice what it says here. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the what? Remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive as the what? Gift of the Holy Ghost. That's when we first receive it. This is when I become revived, because you remember there's two things that have to happen for me. I got to be revived and I got to be reformed. I begin being revived from spiritual death to spiritual life when I give my sins to Christ. He takes them and in return he gives me the Holy Spirit and I become revived. I now have a spiritual mind. I can now begin to understand spiritual things. This is where it begins, but it's not where it ends. Because I can't just be revived. i got to be reformed. So the question then becomes, how do I continue to be revived? How do I become revived and now continue in the Spirit to be what? Reformed. I want us to look at this next statement. The measure of the Holy Spirit we receive daily will be proportioned to the measure of our desire and faith exercised for it, and the use we shall make of the light and knowledge that shall be given to us. We shall be entrusted with the Holy Spirit according to our capacity to receive and our ability to impart it to others. We begin with the Holy Spirit to be revived, but now we need the Holy Spirit how often? Every day. So that we don't go back to bondage. There's four things mentioned in this statement. The first thing that I need to continue in the Spirit is to desire it. Because if we don't want it, we're not going to seek for it. But it's a deed or it's a desire for what? A desire to be like Jesus, isn't it? And it's all proportional. If I only want to be a little bit like Jesus, I'm only going to what? Receive a little bit of the Spirit. It's all proportional. But because He freed me, how much should I want to be like Jesus? If I've been freed by Jesus' shed blood, how much should I want to be like Jesus? Everything. That's the only proper response. Would you agree? So because you're free, every day you want to put on Christ. This is something you really want. You want to add to your faith. You want to put up some more pictures of Jesus and memories hall to follow him, to emulate him. And the more you want it, the more the power you're going to have. But this is where millions fail. Many people want to be like Jesus, but never choose to be like Jesus. Because it's not just our desire, it's our faith exercised for it. How much effort do I put forth to be like Jesus? Everybody here want to be like Jesus? But we've got to put forth faith to be like him. And the evidence of that is how much time I spend with him. Is that right? If I rarely think of Christ, I really don't have much desire to be like Christ. It's when he becomes my best friend. It's when I don't forget, which is why we have communion 
four times a year. So I don't forget. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of that I died for you. I set you free. Do this in remembrance of me until I, until I come in the second coming. Keep doing this. Remember me. Don't forget me. Because, because of Jesus, we have freedom. And because he set us free, we want to be like him. And so now I've got to exercise my faith to be like him, which means I've got to spend time in communion with him. There's got to be a time and a place every day just to commune with Christ. Would you agree? Where you're spending time studying that altogether perfect life that was sacrificed for you. And say, I want that life. I don't, the selfish life that's in the world, that's no good. There's no life in it, just death. I want life. And that life is in Christ, that eternal life. But then it says, not only desire it, but you exercise your faith for it, but a capacity to receive. A capacity to receive. If I pray more and commune more with Christ, have I increased my capacity to receive the Holy Spirit? If I do go around and I help people wherever I can, saying things that are nice, doing things that are nice, have I increased my capacity to receive the Holy Spirit? I do, don't I? And the more you receive of it, the more you're going to what? You're going to want it. Because it's the best feeling you could ever have. We increase our capacity. But the thing is, it's also based upon our ability to impart it to others. Because there's something about how God chose not to use angels to do this work. Because if he used angels and all we had to do was be free, we would never what? We'd never grow. Because we can't grow unless we're imparting. Everything we receive, all the kindness from heaven should be reflected in being kind to others. Is this true? And then as we impart, always imparting some grace, some, some blessing to another human being, we increase our capacity, we increase our desire, we increase our, our activity in exercising our faith. It's all moving in the right direction. But you know what the devil's going to do? He's going to make you so busy. So busy, you have no time to impart. No time to exercise that faith. And then we lose interest in Jesus and spiritual things. It's just a law. I can't. It's, it's just the way things work. But may this communion be something that, as we partake it together, and we look forward to the next one. Between now and the next communion, which I think is the end of June, somewhere in there, let's covenant to be more like Jesus. Let's covenant to be free. I mean free indeed. Never to go back to sin but to be free, to move forward. Let us find a time and a place to ex exercise that desire to be like him. And pray that God will give you opportunities to impart the blessings that you've received. And as that happens, 
then we really become a growing church. We've had a few baptisms. We've got two more coming up. And that's beautiful to grow that way. But ultimately, God's not waiting for numbers. Is he? He's waiting for spiritual maturity. It won't matter. I mean, God took 12 disciples and turned their world right side up. This isn't a numbers game. It's a maturity issue. It's growing in Christ's issue. Once Jesus has a group of people who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, the work's going to go really quick. It won't because there's three 30 million Adventists. That itself won't finish the work. It's not how many numbers, names are on the books. It's about how many people still covenant to let Jesus keep them free from sin. Amen? Let us prepare our hearts as we think in our minds to make this covenant agreement with God. That Jesus will be our freedom and he'll be our example. Amen? This time we'll have the uh, deacons and those who are going to be in the community service to meet in the back. Maybe I get some help. We're going to move the pulpit, I think. We can move it somewhere. Maybe this will be.
Now shall we kneel for the uh, prayer for the, the grape juice. <coughs> Dearly Father, what a privilege it is to be part of this beautiful ceremony that you have implemented to remind us that you gave your body and your blood for us. The Father, you gave the Son. The Son, you gave yourself. And the Holy Spirit, you're sent to regenerate us. Thank you for loving us so much to 
to save us and help us with cooperation with you in this plan, great plan of salvation. Thank you for so everything that you do for us in your great love. And may as we take part of the grape juice, which is an emblem of your blood, and as we partake of it, each and every one of us individually, let us be mindful that you died for each and every one of us here. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And after the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he had supped, he's saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Amen.